and welcome to the Nature Jobs podcast. I'm Julie Gould. Infographics and data visualisations are becoming increasingly popular and you see them almost everywhere you look. But what's their visual legacy? How has data visualisation evolved over time and what role does it play in science today? We could actually go to the British Library because they opened their first science exhibition on February 20th called Beautiful Data, which explores exactly that. The curator, Joanne Kinowich, chose three topics to focus on, climate, population health and evolution. And each part of the exhibition starts with just pure data collected in the late 1600s or early 1700s and then moves on to show how that data is being used in contemporary science. But not only that, it also shows how the visuals have changed over time from static images on a page to interactive ones on a screen. So I wanted to find out more about the importance of data visualisation today and how scientists could make the most of their work when it comes to communicating it. Andy Kirk is the founder of Visualising Data and he runs workshops and writes blogs and does a lot of research on the importance of making the right visuals. Now, he's been running workshops at the British Library and I managed to catch some time with him during one of the workshops to find out a bit more about the importance of data visualisation. And the first question for him was, what does data visualisation actually mean? So the the visualisation of data for me is, is two main things. How we represent data, how we give a physical form to the subject data variables. Beyond that, it's also all these other presentational factors, how we create interactivity. How we use colour, type, arrangement, architecture, annotation to label and explain things. These are all very key attributes that really make or break the success of a visualisation, particularly when it's a communication device. Because visualisation can also be for analysis of data. When you are the audience, you're the creator, you're wanting to make sense of data, to find patterns that you've not seen before. And that word there, seen, is the key element of visualisation. We were moving beyond looking at data and seeing it in its physical form. And that would be the heart of visualisation design. What are the differences then in visualisation of a specific set of data when it comes to, say, the scientists using it as a tool for analysis, so seeing that data, mm-hmm. and then afterwards, once he's seen all his things or she's seen all the things that she wants to see, then communicating that. What, what are the subtle differences there? The main difference there is that you've now got an audience try and find a way to characterise the audience you're trying to find uh, kind of a, a penetration with, an impact with obviously impact is a big agenda among science and academia anyway and you've got to try and think well, what, what do I think they would be interested in what slices of analysis, what slices of a story do I think I can engage with them and that's a very different situation than if it's just you working with data for yourself you know what's already your domain knowledge you know what you do know and you don't know and that's part of the act of visual analysis to explore data and to tease out new insights new patterns new discoveries that either confirm what you knew or provide a new kind of enlightenment about a subject how would you do that exactly would it be using different types of graphs and different colors and different layouts or is there is there more to it to be honest there isn't i mean obviously there are small details that are different but if we look at visualization as communication then things like chart types this is our visual language this is the, this, the syntax, the verbs that we've got to use now to tell stories. And for many of us, we're already we're maybe just familiar with a, a core set of maybe four or five chart types. The bar chart, the pie chart, the line graph, the scatter plot, for example. And what we try and do in this, in this field is, is give people a broader sense of the vocabulary of telling a story with charts because there are endless ways we can portray data. 
Now, on the other side of that is the issue that not everybody has the visual literacy to read and interpret these graphics because we're never taught that we get by, we make sense of a bar chart. But for many more methods, it may go a bit more complex, a bit more advanced. We need to find a way to bridge that gap in that deficit of literacy. For a designer, for a creator of these graphics, you need to achieve that through the explanatory features on a graphic, the labelling, the introductions, the how-to-read-a-graphic elements. And so a lot of it is just common sense, just caring about the audience and thinking, what do I need to give them to learn and read this story that I'm portraying? Story seems to be a word that you're repeating quite a lot here, so... When you're talking about stories, when it comes to data, it's definitely not just about the numbers and the analysis. There's, there is more to it, there isn't is, there? Absolutely. There is a narrative. Now, storytelling in general could be argued as a bit of a buzzword, but it, it does have resonance with visualisation because we're, we are communicating something, and it's often more than just one element. It's not just a single graphic. And so there is a way to thread that together in a sequence, in a story, where we, we're introducing a subject, and then we might show a... Uh, an unusual property and then we might show an answer or a big reveal so there is definitely a narrative a storytelling structure particularly for example if you've got time-based data because time-based data portrayals lend themselves to something that's over time and that's the essence of a story is something that's portrayed over time for scientists who are currently doing some research what sort of tips have you got for them in terms of visualizing their data when it comes to them seeing it themselves there are two perspectives. The first perspective is what I describe as the, the Sherlock Holmes view. You have a certain hypothesis and you're going to go and test it out in the data. You're going to combine the variables that will lead to a discovery or a confirmation of a hypothesis or alternatively reveal something you didn't know. On the other side, you've got this idea of prospecting. You're going to play with the data. You're going to try different combinations of variables. You're going to almost follow a centre of inquiry. See what clues you can find along the way. And it's almost serendipitous almost accidental. You just happen to combine two, two or three variables and you see something that you've not seen before. So it's those unknown unknowns that you're trying to find a way to, to, uh, to un- unpick from your data. Because looking at the raw data, you would never find those things. That's what we're trying to find in visualisation, see the data for the first time. What are some of the biggest faux pas you've seen in terms of visualising scientific data? Well, the, the most obvious one is when you're visualising something that is just inaccessible to a general audience, when it is intended for a general audience. It might be complex, it might be complex subject matter and complex data variables, but you still need to find a way to convey it to an audience that is suitable in the context. But the other two main issues, I think, are, first of all, a fundamental misunderstanding about how we perceive different chart types. Let's take the simple bar chart, for example. The way that we read back a bar chart is by judging the absolute length of a bar that's portrayed. Now, if you chop off that bar and start the baseline at something that's not zero, you're distorting our interpretation of what length that bar actually means. The other key faux part is when people use visualisation as, as a means of showing off. Here's a technical competence, here's something that looks cool, here's something that is a new method, a new technique, something that's kind of pushing the boundaries, but fundamentally it is just something that's fancy rather than something that's a tool for understanding. When you're talking about statistics, human nature doesn't lend itself naturally to interpreting that sort of thing, so is this the whole point of your visualisation classes, is that you, you give that audience a helping hand into coming down coming round to understanding it absolutely and that helping hand is is a key proponent of visualization design and it's what i describe as the annotation layer 
the level of user assistance you need to give your readers in how to read and digest and consume this graphic. It may be on one level just simply how to read it. A clear title. A title is such an effective real estate opportunity to get across a message and we often don't use it. And there's all sorts of things like conclusions and takeaways and call-outs and captions that we can give people just to point out key things and almost recreate that sense of been stood in front of a big chart on a, on a big display and you stood there pointing out the key things with your hand because often things are consumed remotely and detached from where we are. So we have to make sure that if we're not there to physically point out things and physically there to coach people through how to read and interpret something, the properties on the chart do that. For scientists who are working on a bit of data visualisation at the moment, what top five tips have you got for them? The first tip would be to think first of all about what's the intent of the project. Is it to just simply inform people? Is it to persuade? Is it to change behaviour, enlighten, entertain? There's all sorts of subtle differences in what we might look to achieve, but the way that we achieve those are also through very different types of visualisation. The second key tip is when we're exploring our data, we need to get a sense of its physicality, because this data is the raw material. This is what we construct our final piece with. We need to get a sense of the range and the variable types, because this is directly linked to the architecture of the chart types that we choose and the overall arrangement and and look and feel of the project. Thirdly, what's the story? What's the narrative? What questions do we want our audiences to be able to answer by consuming this graphic? And that's a, that's a journalistic sensibility. What's the, what's the real nub of a story? Because there are endless different ways we can slice up analysis, particularly most science subjects. They've got big data sets, variety of variables to work with. You need to get a sense of the focus. And then that, that leads to the chart types. The data, the story, the chart types, this is the main tripartite relationship in visualisation design. So the chart types are the ways of showing the story. So the correct deployment of a chart type will deliver the stories, the questions that we've already identified. And finally, the presentation layers. All these key design choices we can make are quite straightforward, as I've just said. But those would be the main five things I would advise for most people to think about and some of the key things you can make a difference with. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Nice to meet you. So those were Andy's top five tips and I hope that there's something useful in there for you and it will help you to communicate your data with the appropriate story. But if you have any comments, thoughts or questions for Andy, please do leave them in the comments section below on the blog and he's more than happy to answer questions for you. Or you could use the hashtag NJPodcast on Twitter. Next time, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. For a whole week, starting on May 12th, we'll be celebrating Women in Science and the Nature Jobs podcast. And I'll be speaking to a different woman in science every day of that week to find out more about what it is that inspires her to do science or that inspires her to get into science. And I wanted to look at some of the more positive sides of being a woman in science. I know that there are some barriers that women have and I know that there's a lot of attention to try and fix those. But I wanted to highlight some of the great things that women are doing in science today. But in the meantime, if you want to know more about Nature Jobs, you can go to blogs.nature.com forward slash Nature Jobs or you can follow us on Twitter at Nature Jobs or even on Facebook. But that's it for now. I'm Julie Gould. Mm -hmm.